But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, my name is Sam. I'm one of your pastors now. Uh, I am a bit of a train wreck this morning. They said, we're going to install you as a pastor and then have you preach a sermon right afterwards. So good luck with that. Uh, during the 9 a.m., we did this same process, and Pastor Travis McGowan, if you don't know Pastor Travis McGowan, probably should get to know him. He preaches every now and then. He was sitting over there by me, and I looked over because he took his big hand and patted me on the, the shoulder, and I looked over and said, man, I'm a train wreck. And as only Pastor Travis can do, he looked at me and goes, good. <laughs> so whatever that means, Travis. Uh, <clears throat> but I'll try to hold it together this morning. Um, so now to the awkward transition into the sermon. Uh, last week we concluded our sermon series working through the book of Esther. And those sermons are online. I encourage you to go listen to those if you didn't, didn't hear all of them. But this morning, we are going to begin working through the Old Testament book of Daniel. Uh, both of these uh, sermon kind of mini-series, uh, Daniel and Esther, are being preached in light of the Sermon on the Mount, where we spent quite a few weeks preaching through, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7, where it was Jesus' teaching. He, he taught us in the Sermon on the Mount what it means to be a whole person. And to live a life where our righteousness or our faith, it's, it's far more than an outward appearance, but it is something that is deeply embedded in who we are, that it is, it is, a, it is a wellspring of life within us that works its way outward. In Esther, to create a distinction between these two books, in Esther, we saw God's handiwork of restoring his people, people who had compromised their faith and their character in the Lord. And we see him, the Lord restoring, restoring them back to the whole life that God promises us. So we see restoration in Esther. With Daniel, we don't see that so much. Daniel is, is less of a story about restoration, and it's more of a picture of that whole person that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, engaging the world around them, engaging the world around you with a, a, a life that is rooted in the Lord. And as we will talk about throughout this series, that the culture and the world around us promises to be chaotic and filled with all kinds of pressures. But throughout the book of Daniel, we see where there is a lack of compromise. It doesn't take long when you get into the book of Daniel for, to understand what's happening to the Lord's people. The curtains are, are, are thrown open very quickly. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So a long story short, God's people are taken to a foreign land, they live amongst a foreign people in a foreign culture that is not devoted to the Lord, their God. So you can imagine the chaos, 
the confusion and the, the, the pressures that would have been mounting upon the Lord's people. But this should not surprise us because all throughout the Bible, this is what happens. What, the Lord's people, they had their own land. They had their own place in two places in the Bible. One was in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, the very beginning. And then we messed that up because we didn't trust the Lord. And then later on in the Old Testament, you see where Israel comes to the promised land and, and they, they have their own land, their own kingdom. They were a powerhouse for a little bit, but then we messed that up too. But all throughout the Bible, you see they, they were always in a foreign culture. They were in Egyptian captivity, Assyrian captivity, here in Babylonian captivity. Soon enough, they'll be in Persian captivity. All throughout the New Testament, they're in under the, the rule of the Romans. There is only one place in the Bible where it really speaks to a Christian nation, where it really speaks to all of God's people coming together, being one. And that's in the book of Revelation. That's in the end. And so my point is this. We will always be surrounded by a culture that is different from us. There will not be a Christian nation until Jesus comes back for us. So the book of Daniel, it is not a story of how we get back our country. It is not a story of how to reclaim the Christian nation but rather it is a story of how we can live the good life and be the person that the Lord has made us to be amidst the chaos and the pressures of the culture around us. So many of us believe that to truly stand amidst the chaos and the pressure of our culture means that we, that we need to, to get the right man in office or the right person in office. We just need to get the right legislation in place. But I would argue that the Lord is far less concerned with building a Christian nation and he's far more concerned with creating whole people devoted to him no matter the culture we live in. And so for the purposes of the book of Daniel, let me hopefully illustrate this. There are these videos, I've seen them on Facebook, I'm sure they're on YouTube. It's of this, of this man who goes around to various venues and arenas, and he sings the national anthem. Of course, he's got a, a wonderful baritone voice, but he does something interesting while he's singing. He paints a picture, literally. The guy's got a big, huge canvas, bigger than him, and he paints a picture. Have you seen these videos? You have? Don't give it away to your neighbor if they haven't seen it, all right? But he paints this picture, and you, had, you have no idea what he's painting, but he's singing the national anthem, just, just painting. And then he gets to this, the crescendo of the national anthem, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and he flips the canvas over, and you see what he was painting. And what you see, what he's painted, is one of the most iconic photos in all of American history for American patriotism, and that is the picture of the American soldiers holding up the flag at Iwo Jima. If you got any American pride in you whatsoever, you watch these videos, and you there might be a tear in your eye. You're, you're just, you're jacked up. You're ready to go. It's, it's incredible. So if you think about the book of Daniel as a song being sung to us, 
over the next few weeks. You have stanzas of a fiery furnace, of Daniel going into the lion's den. You have verses of crazy dreams and mysterious prophecies. There's a picture being painted for us. And it's not a picture of God's people shaking their fist in defiance at the culture around them. It's not a picture of God's army suited up, ready to fight the culture war. I believe that as the song of Daniel crescendos and the canvas is flipped over, what we will see will be the image of a child of God on his knees. Praying to the Lord, how might I be faithful today? Because before, there is the bravery of men being thrown into a fiery furnace. Before, there is the courage of Daniel going into the lion's den. Before, there is the right person in power. Before, there is the right legislation. There is, every, there is everyday faithfulness that the Lord calls us to. And it doesn't take very long as you get into the book of Daniel where you see Daniel was faced with that, with that pressure. So many of the Lord's people have been brought from Jerusalem to a foreign land in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a very particular ambition for these people. Essentially, to give it away, he wants to create super Babylonians out of these people. In verses 3 through 5, we see this ambition. The king ordered Ashpenaz chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And so among these people who, who met these qualifications were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the, the last three, you might be familiar with them being called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Understand that these four guys, they were not seasoned veterans in the faith where they'd been walking with the Lord for 50 years, but rather the more than likely these four guys are between the ages of 13 and 16. They were teenagers being asked to step into this situation, being enrolled in what I would call the University of Nebuchadnezzar, majoring in Babylonian culture. The program was to last three years, and when you graduate, your reward was you get to become the king's servant. I think it's funny, though, because I think about the culture we live in today and young kids graduating college, but at least these guys knew they had a job after they graduated, right? If you're going to college, hang in there. But before they started this school, the king did another audacious thing, and he gave them new names. These guys had Israelite names, and he gave them Babylonian names, which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are those um, are Babylonian names. This was a big deal in this culture because names meant a whole lot. They, they, were, they were wrapped up 
and, and the identity of the individual. So you can imagine how big of a deal this was to have your name changed. But what I want to point out, something very important, that Daniel and his friends, they did not say no to this plan. As you read through the book of Daniel, you see that they actually went to this school. They read the books. They did the studying. They learned the language. And they served the king. They weren't defiant to the culture around them. They weren't signing petitions and trying to overthrow the government. They simply lived each day to be faithful to the Lord. But yet, within this curriculum of the University of Nebuchadnezzar, there was something that made Daniel feel uneasy. There was something that he didn't like. Now, for most of us, if we're being honest, we would probably throw a stink about having our name changed. I like my name, right? Or maybe we might throw a fit because I don't want to learn anything about this culture. I don't want to be here. I don't want to read that book. I don't want to speak like these people. But for Daniel, it was something different. Daniel had issues with eating the food and the drink from the king's table. There was something not right about the king's meal plan for them. And the crazy thing is, like, this would be the easy part for me. I would love for someone to plan my meals for me, right? It, it, no more of those 4 p.m. phone calls with the wife. Hey, babe, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. What do you want for dinner? I don't know. I could eat anything. What do you want for dinner? And then you say something, and they're like, no, I don't want that, right? No more of those. The meals are planned for you. But for Daniel, there was something intrinsically wrong about ingesting this food and wine. It went against Daniel's conviction. Now, we're not 100% sure what that is. Maybe it was sacrificed to, to gods. Uh, maybe it's just a type of food that Jews were not permitted to eat. Uh, all we know is that Daniel did not want to participate in this. And so we read in verse 8, as Megan read earlier, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Notice what Daniel doesn't do here. Daniel doesn't throw a fit on Facebook. He doesn't have a tantrum on Twitter, and he doesn't instigate on Instagram. Thank you, whoever laughed over here. You caught it. I was so proud of myself when I came up with that. (laughs) But rather, Daniel simply goes to the chief official and he asks permission not to eat the food and drink the wine. Now, the chief official essentially feared for his own life and he says in verse 10, I am afraid of the Lord, of, of my Lord the King, who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So clearly this guy was afraid of of being killed because he would present unhealthy um, participants in the program. So Daniel, instead of throwing a big fuss, Daniel gets creative and shrewd, and he comes up with, uh, uh, he wants to strike a deal. And so instead of going to the chief official, he goes to the guard who's, Responsibility was to watch over Daniel and his friends. And this is, this is the deal he struck. Verse 12, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. This is bold. 
But the guard agrees, and he tests these guys for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his friends, they look healthier and better nourished than all the other participants. They looked better than all of them. But look, I don't, I don't think Daniel had some secret to nutrition. I, not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but th- these are not banner verses for veganism or vegetarianism or pescatarianism or whatever diet. That's not what this is because Daniel's resolve here, it had far less to do with the food he was putting in his body and it had far more to do with what the food represented. Look at how it stated. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. When he asked permission to the chief official, he said, I don't want to do this. It will defile me. There was something about giving into the pressure of eating from the king's table and, and drinking the wine that would defile Daniel. Essentially, it would make Daniel less than who he was. If he partook in this, it would, it would somehow spoil the work that was taking place inside Daniel's soul. It's as though Daniel is saying, listen, you can change the culture around me. You can change my name. You can change the language that I speak. But I will not let you lessen the value of who I am. There was something deeply embedded inside Daniel's soul that allowed him to stand his ground amidst all of this. And here's the main point. To stand amidst the pressures and the chaos of this culture. It is not because you know what your rights and your freedoms are. To stand strong amidst the pressures of this culture is not because you know what rules to follow. If you want to stand amidst the pressure of this chaotic world, it requires a deep conviction in who you belong to. Daniel knew who he belonged to above all else. All throughout the book of Daniel, you're going to see king after king after king, Power struggle after power struggle. But Daniel's deep conviction is that he belonged to the Lord, to the King of Kings. At the end of this service, there's going to be a baptism. And there's a beautiful declaration that takes place in a baptism where we say, what's your sacred confession of faith? And they pronounce, Jesus is Lord. And that, friends, is a declaration of who you belong to. We belong to Jesus first and foremost, before you belong to a conservative agenda or a liberal agenda, before you belong to America, before you belong to your rights and your freedoms, you belong to Jesus. And it is this, not those other things, that should be the ground for which we stand amidst the pressures of this life. Jesus himself speaks to standing on this solid ground, and he paints a wonderful picture at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, when he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. This passage, this teaching from Jesus, it clearly illustrates that there will be pressures and chaos. There is no promise throughout the Bible that there will not be storms in your life. 
But the rock that we build our house on is a deep conviction in the reality that you belong to the Lord. And if you want to stand, to dig your heels in and to stand amidst the wind and the storms of this life, you will listen to Jesus and you will do what Jesus says, no matter what it costs you, no matter how uncomfortable. So if we want to cultivate a deeper conviction in who we belong, it requires two things. You ready for this? Trust and obey. Not to be overly simplistic. Trust and obey. There's a hymn that has a famous line that I love. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We see with Daniel a deep trust in the Lord. Daniel truly believed that no matter where he was, no matter the culture, no matter the pressures, that God was with him and God was for him. He was deeply rooted in the reality that if God is for you, who can be against you? And also one of the themes of the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty. We just see throughout the whole book that God never loses control. Daniel has a deep trust that God's agenda is never in jeopardy. I remember a phone call that I had a few months ago with my grandmother. We talked on the phone for a while and, and I, she asked me how I was doing. And I mean, it's your grandmother. You've got to be honest with your grandmother, right? And so I, I was just talking about how crazy life was. You know, job was crazy. It was during a season where my kids just caught every disease you can get from the daycare. It, just, it was just a real rough season. It was really chaotic. And at the end of the phone call, my grandmother said this. My grandmother calls me honey and sugar. Because she knows I'm sweet. She said, listen, honey, no matter what happens in life, when you see yourself getting stressed out, it's going to be okay. From anybody else, I probably would have dismissed that and been defensive. <laughs> you don't know. You don't live in my house. You don't have my job or my life. But when your 90-year-old grandmother who has been walking faithfully with the Lord for over 60 years and who has experienced extreme storms in life tells you that it's going to be okay, you listen. And when she said that, I, I teared up because what I heard her saying, knowing who she was and knowing that she knew who she belonged to, I heard, Sam, Jesus is with you. He is on his throne, and nothing can change that. To stand means you must trust the Lord. But Daniel doesn't just show us that amidst the pressures of life, we just have to trust, but he also shows us that we must obey. When I talk about obeying, when I talk about obedience here, I want you to understand that I'm really talking about steadfast faithfulness in your life. Time and time again throughout the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel and his friends are faced in the moment with the decision, do I be faithful or do I compromise my faith? 
do I go against it? We understand that steadfast faithfulness and obedience, it's not just simply following the rules. Because hopefully you've lived long enough to understand that life is way too complicated to know what all the rules are. Steadfast faithfulness is not just obedience when everybody else around you is watching. Because oftentimes, obedience to the Lord, it is very rarely a loud thing. Steadfast faithfulness, 99.9% of the time it goes unnoticed. But yet every single one of us are faced every single day of our life with decisions where we must decide, will I be faithful or will I defile myself? Because every time that we give in to these pressures to do something, say something, believe something that goes against the work that the Lord is already doing in your life, you in that moment are choosing to be less than who you are, less than who the Lord has made you to be. You are going against the very work that the Lord is doing in your life. You are defiling yourself. So where in your life do you see yourself compromising? Where do you see yourself lessening the value of the Lord's work in you because of cultural pressures or because you're trying to get ahead? Let me ask this. Are you a different person around some people than you are around other people? Because if you act differently around one group of people than you do the other, I would seriously look into that because there's a great chance that you're compromising something because you're trying to make yourself look differently than who you really are. But Daniel not only expresses that there is consequence for disobedience, which is we defile ourselves, but also in chapter 1, we see that there is a reward for our obedience. Believe it or not, there is a reward for obeying the Lord. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Then in verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. The trust and obedience that, to the Lord that these teenage boys had, it led to greater physical health, spiritual health, and mental health. And then on top of that, the king liked them more than anybody else. But look, obeying and being faithful to the Lord, it might not mean that you become favored by powerful people. That's not the promise. If you obey the Lord, it doesn't mean that you're going to have great physical or mental health. But throughout the book of Daniel, throughout the Bible, and if my 90-year-old grandmother was standing up here, she would tell you that steadfast faithfulness in obeying the Lord, it leads to true life and life to the fullest. It leads to a deeper and more intimate relationship with Jesus, your King. that the greater your steadfast faithfulness in the Lord and your obedience to Him, the greater your strength will be to stand amidst the pressures and chaos of this culture. 
so as the pressures of this world stack up against us, as the chaos seems to get more chaotic. We are called to remember who we belong to. And we trust him and we obey him. Each week, we remember this life that the Lord invites us to. And I think it's it's so wonderful that as much as Daniel refused to eat the royal food and didn't give in, every single week we are invited to the king's table to eat. It is here that we remember who we belong to, who we trust, and who we obey. On the night that Jesus would experience unbelievable chaos and pressure, He did not make a big scene. He didn't go to social media and throw a fit. Do you know what he did? He took a loaf of bread and he broke it with his friends. He said, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you. For every time we eat of this bread and we drink from this cup, we're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Every time we take communion, we are announcing that Jesus is Lord. And that one day our true king will return for us. The bread and the wine are a reminder to us that Jesus did not compromise. He set his face to the cross and he obeyed to death. But Jesus did all of this so that you and I could belong to him and have life in him. Jesus did this so that you and I could have solid ground to stand on amidst the chaos and pressure of this world. The way we do communion here is there will be stations here and here and the two in the back, uh, and there will be uh, gluten-free to my left, your right, right over here. Um, you'll come forward, you'll pull off a piece of bread, dip it into the juice or the wine. Uh, the wine will be marked uh, with a piece of twine. My encouragement as you come forward and you hear your brother or your sister say to you, the body of Jesus was broken for you or the blood of Jesus was shed for you, what I want you to hear is you belong to Jesus and nothing can take that away from you because he sealed it for us. If you're not a Christian, I would ask you not to come forward and partake in this meal. This is a sacred meal for those who have put their trust in Jesus. For you, I would ask that you stay stay seated and ask yourself this question, who is king of your life and how long is that going to last? Because I can tell you that any king other than the King Jesus will fail you. So go talk to a friend, go talk to someone and ask, what does it mean to trust the true king of kings and place your faith in Jesus? But I'm going to pray for us, and then we can come forward. And then after that, we can celebrate. We can celebrate a baptism, and we can hear those great words, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray.